Welcome back. And uh, as you settle back into the room, go ahead and uh, take a moment, stretch if you need to. Uh, perhaps get a drink. And then when you're feeling ready, I can go ahead and settle back in. Uh, good evening to everyone. My name is uh, Eli. I'm a resident priest here at City Center, uh, part of the San Francisco triad, I guess you could say. And I will be uh, facilitating Young Urban Zen tonight. Um, thanks to uh, Alex for, for being host. For those of you who may be new to Yuz or want a refresher, um, I'm going to talk for about 25-ish minutes, something like that. Um, and then we'll spend some time doing Q&A. Uh, and then lastly, uh, for those of you who want to stick around, uh, we'll be getting into some small groups or maybe just one big group to, to get into further discussion. Um, I think that's about it. So um, how should I begin? Many of you may have gotten the email uh, that basically said the title uh, of the talk tonight was whatever happens at Yaz or something to that nature. I can't forget what I, I sent you, Alex. But I really had a hard time, um, yeah, putting a, a title to things. Uh, part of of what tonight is is for is about actually not thinking and not contemplating, not conceptualizing, um, and yet I'm going to say something. So, uh, however you want to to meet that is fine. Uh, I do invite you to, throughout the, the whole uh, evening, to just take notice or be aware of, of your attention uh, throughout, throughout the talk tonight. Uh, perhaps you can just sit another extended period of, of Zazen for the next 25 minutes um, and try to just have me as background noise. Perhaps try to practice listening, uh, not so much for the purpose of gaining knowledge, uh, but for the purpose of, of being present uh, to what you're doing right now. And plus, I don't, I don't have too much insight to offer anyway, but uh, again, trying to be present to the space that you're in and the activity that you're doing, which at least for now is uh, an embodiment of, of breathing, um, and perhaps hearing. So as much as possible, try to bring forth your beginner's mind or experience your beginner's mind and just notice the, the mind's tendency to wander, to, to judge. I'm sure that some judgments will come up. Uh, get annoyed. Um, boredom will exist. And perhaps maybe some excitement but just notice how it responds to all the, you know, maybe twists and turns of, of this evening. Um, and if you're practicing in that way, I guess it, it doesn't really matter what I'm talking about. So that's some pressure off of me. I, on Fridays, I wanna say I, I teach mindfulness to a couple of different first grade classes. And one of the, the kind of rituals we have is to use a breathing ball to kind of refocus or collectively center our attention. So I thought I would bring that in for this evening. You all are much more experienced than uh, probably at, at sitting than the first graders, 
but they have a lot of wisdom to, to offer in how they um, do engage with the beginner's mind and curiosity. So throughout the talk, I may just stop for a couple of minutes and allow us to breathe with the breathing ball. Again, this is like our tummy. So just uh, you can breathe along with it or just try to kind of maybe refocus um, uh, again and again. So I'm going to begin with a, uh, a koan, which has been brought up a lot at Zen Center, primarily because our founder, Suzuki Roshi, uh, spoke to it quite often. Um, and real quickly, for those who, who may be familiar with or not familiar with what a, a koan is, and it kind of in the modern day has, has stretched its meaning, perhaps. Um, but in this use, it's really just a, a paradoxical uh, word or phrase that's kind of taken from a story and uh, usually used as a, an object of meditation um, or to, to help one awaken. And this is traditionally in, in Renzai Zen. Over here, we're, you know, we're the Soto school um, and koans aren't as central to practice. Uh, and from my experience are more used or used to just kind of disrupt the mind uh, a little bit. Um, or as we say, point towards the moon. Pointing towards the moon means uh, basically no matter how poetic my words are, how scientific my words are, um, they will only get me so far in describing the vastness of the moon. So instead of uh, trying to describe awakening to a student, perhaps a koan more or less points to, to the moon. So uh, in Suzuki Roshi's most famous book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, uh, in the, what chapter is this? I think it's Mind Waves. Perhaps, oh no. Single-minded, come on. Single-minded way, that's where it is. Okay, so the koan goes, there were two good friends, Chokai and Hokufu. They were talking about the Bodhisattva way. And Chokai said, even if the Arhat, which is an enlightened one, were to have evil desires, still the Tathagata or Buddha does not have two kinds of words. So again, he says, even if the Arhat were to have evil desires, the Tathagata does not have two kinds of words. I say that the Tathagata has words, but no dualistic words, Hokufu said, or excuse me, Chokai said that. Hokufu said, even though you say so, your comment is not perfect. Chokai asked, what is your understanding of the Tathagata's words? Hokufu said, we have had enough discussion, so let's have a cup of tea. That last line is kind of the, the um, you know, I guess the, the koan bit of it. We've had enough discussion, so let's have a cup of tea. Um, and so Suzuki Roshi goes on to say, uh, Hofuku did not give his friend an answer because it is impossible to give a verbal interpretation of our way. Nevertheless, as part of, of, part of their practice, these two good friends have discussed the, the Bodhisattva way, even though they did not to, uh, expect to find a new interpretation. So Hokufu answered, our discussion is over. Let's have a cup of tea. That is a very good answer, isn't it? It is the same for my talk. When my talk is over, 
your listening is over. There's no need to remember what I say. There's no need to understand what I say. You understand. You have full understanding within yourself. There is no problem. So for me, the, the more and more I, I practice, I actually create a problem sometimes. Um, and, and the reason I say that is um, it seems the, the kind of more and more, and this goes in and out, that I, I develop a practice. I actually notice things about my thinking mind, my planning mind, uh, my editing mind, recreating mind, judgment mind, and even on the more pleasurable side, my wonderment, my fantasy, my gratitude or celebration. And I wonder, I'm like, why is this? Sometimes it's like I'm almost more critical than before I started practice. And, um, you know, it's really like I'm almost taking the, the, the mind and mindfulness a bit too literally. And so I think in a short answer is I need to, to work with my judgment because that's a lot of what's coming um, up in that, but it really, when I realized that it made me ponder, you know, how can I abide in any given experience uh, more wholeheartedly uh, without reliance on that, on that thinking mind? Um, how can I fully express myself in any given moment without over-conceptualizing? Um, or as Hokufu said, to, and Chokai did, to actually just have some tea. Um, and Zen practice itself actually encourages us to, uh, to just be, um, or better yet, we, we say it as a verb, just being. So right now, in, in my case, I'm just elying. And this practice of not overthinking and just doing, uh, I think is, is kind of problematic in, uh, or a difficult practice in, in Western society. Um, and again, for me, the, the probably the, the main reason uh, for that is I've been indoctrinated into like a belief or understand that this concept of freedom means that I do and think as I please. So quite the, the contrary, uh, as far as Zen practice is concerned, uh, our practice is to gain freedom and uh, liberation from not being in the grips of the whim of our conditioned mind and really just learning to, uh, to trust our Buddha nature, learning to, to trust our most inner, inner self at any given moment. And that is what true freedom actually is. And for me, I don't know about for you, but this can be very hard to do when you start to study this self because um, I was raised with a conditioned mind. So I start to study myself in my conditioned ways and start to see all these delusions. Um, I wake up to what a wonder life is. I start to experience more of a sense of interconnectedness or ultimate truth. And again, for me, this really did start to increase, obviously, as the more and more I practice, I find myself kind of naming, um, naming things or pointing to the, these discoveries or pointing to the moon. Uh, quite often. 
And it's not that we're not supposed to think, but that naming or that recognition is only a small part of our true nature. Beyond words, uh, the purpose of, of this time we have on, on this planet, this time we have together is to, ex to really express our, our deepest sincerity or our most sincere self. Really emphasizing on not, um, not just how things are held or how things are done, but the, the quality in which we do things. Um, is a very important concept, uh, principle, practice in Zen. To put more uh, context to what I'm trying to, to point at, I'm gonna of course share a story about my daughter, Maya. So I take Maya to, to school to every morning. It's about 15 or 20 minutes uh, drive. And by that time in the day, I've sat usually for a little over an hour uh, here with the, the Sangha. Uh, we've had service. Um, if I'm lucky, I, I get a small workout in and uh, we usually kind of get ahead on a few emails. On top of that, uh, I've usually by then welcomed a first dose of caffeine which is definitely the thinking mind's best friend, uh, but the settled mind's worst enemy. And so there I am one morning taking Maya to, to school and I'm feeling swell, like really, really good. I'm driving uh, down to Visadero, if, if any of y'all are familiar, and just kind of seeing the hills in the distance when you get up to the very uh, top of, of this one particular hill, you can see out to the ocean and so, I'm just awestruck by uh, the, the beauty of the day. And I look in the, the mirror and I'm just, I, you know, totally daddy gushing, looking at Maya, so just grateful of this and that. And so being the, the, the parent that I am and knowing that modeling is the best way to kind of uh, condition your child, I start just, Kind of expressing gratitude, saying how wonderful I think life is and how precious um, our time at the, you know, on this planet is, uh, just going on and on. I'm literally thanking the sky and the trees, so on and so forth. So after a couple of, of minutes, perhaps, of this, I look back in the mirror again and I'm like, Maya, what do you think? And just to climb out, not the best thing to ask a kid, like you're putting them in their brain anyways. Um, but I went ahead and asked her, what do you think? And so she looks back at me with a very blank uh, expression and just goes like this, sticks her tongue out straight at me and starts laughing. And uh, in that moment, it was quite profound how much can be expressed with uh, the sticking out of a tongue and a laugh. So there was my little hokufu inviting me to have some tea. Uh, and so what I, I picked up from Maya when she stuck out her tongue um, was actually I experienced her in a, in a true sense of freedom. Um, 
an expression that really came from her innermost self. And my explanation or my kind of going on um, was actually me, like I said, getting caught up in my newly conditioned mindful mind that wanted to just assess, capture, and, and ultimately it's a sense of control um, with things. And yes, I was also being, a, I think, a good parent. I'm not suggesting that you don't express gratitude and, and um, you know, talk about uh, uh, joy and, and the fundamental point, but the, the true practice is me just Elying. And somehow that, that thinking sometimes gets, uh, gets me lost in the, in the context of life. And Maya's being, her eyes, her tongue, really encapsulated all the wonder that I was trying to describe, but a lot more uh, potently and accurately and, and more so in the moment. So her uh, morning message actually to me to today uh, was, she was commenting on a car that was a, a really one of those new kind of electric blues. And she said, I like that color. And I said, I asked her a question. I'm like, well, will you ever have a, a blue car? You have a blue car like that later on? And she replied, well, Papa, you never know. So again, it's like, Bing hit me with the, uh, with the not knowing. And it struck me because at some point in life, we, we do become so reliant on knowing. So just interesting to, to see how that happens. So, okay. So maybe I should say something that's more practical or practiceful uh, in regards to, to how I'm working with this, this mind. And I'm guessing that a, a lot of other people share this uh, particular, um, I call it an issue. And uh, yeah, I don't want to get on a big tech spiel because I know that there's, there's tons of that out there. But uh, recently we just had um, a Sashin or a one week silent retreat at City Center, which due to work I wasn't able to participate in. But my wife and I decided that we would have a phone Sashin. Um, so for, I don't know, the, the first time in my couple of decades of having a a phone, I, I put it down. Um, and it was interesting because I was in the context of, of our, our normal life, uh, but we put it down for a whole week. And I, I just, I, yeah, I recommend or I encourage you to, to give it um, a try. It was really quite profound um, to notice really how how much I reached for my little pet, just like from a physical uh, sensation, but um, yeah, constantly wondering uh, an answer to a question and feeling the need to, to go ahead and, and Google it. And without having that kind of option, just leaving my phone at home, I found that my world was somewhat illuminated um, and the quality of my attention and presence was so much more vast. That's the, the best way to, to describe it. Um, it's almost like the, the world lit up. So probably why Zen Center has a, a tech policy and, and also why our, our training, our Zen training is completely, completely informed in ways and practices to keep us present to, to this very moment. 
and also becoming more familiar with what takes us out of the present moment. So um, just a suggestion, try it with the phone or at least try to find some practice that uh, you can engage with that kind of removes um, a distraction of sorts. And this, uh, this practice is then to, to cultivate our ability to connect to our experience rather than our mind. Um, yes, it's something that we do in, in every bit of our daily activity. And uh, I don't know if it's possible for you, um, but to somehow set up some form of experiential practice that you commit to uh, on, a, on a, daily, uh, a daily measure. In the Zen realm also, uh, we learn how to renew our, our connection with the present moment. And uh, right now I'm reading Zenju's, uh, Zenju Earthland Manual's book, um, the, shamanic, shaman, excuse me, the Shamanic Bones of Zen. And I'm realizing that I left it in my apartment. So let's just kind of freestyle this, Eli. Anyway, she was uh, in it talking about primarily what drew her to Soto Zen was the ritual ceremonies um, and silence. And the way that, that that way of living speaks to the, the, the power of uh, participating in living ritual. Um, that, that that's really a way to transcend uh, intellect and to, to really touch into the somatic being. So all of those practices uh, that we do help us cultivate really presence on a deep somatic level. I apologize for forgetting the book. Um, definitely encourage you to, to grab it. It's a, it's a great read so far. And let me see, before I wrap things up, um, I did have one more Suzuki Roshi uh, quote to read, but first let's do some breathing. And just to say, and this, this is in part for me because I have a tendency to again, get wrapped up in my head and start sprinting. So as, uh, as I brought about this practice to, to just sit here um, and experience this evening, at some point our, our thoughts or feelings, emotions uh, took us away maybe from having uh, a deep presence or from really just opening up to, to what's here now. And so if you can just sit here for a moment and try to drop into the big mind. Perhaps again, allow the, the prompt to surface. If there was nothing to change or fix, How would you experience this very moment? And just see if you can sense into your, your being for a moment. And uh, I'll close with some 
words from Suzuki Roshi. Out of the mind beginner's mind again, uh, in a chapter called Mind Waves. I think this is kind of an appropriate way to, to sum up this, this evening. When you're practicing Zazen, do not try to stop your thinking. Let it stop by itself. If something comes into your mind, let it come in and let it go out. It will not stay long. When you try to stop your thinking, it means you're bothered by it. Do not be bothered by anything. It appears as if something comes from outside your mind, but actually it is only the waves of your mind. And if you are not bothered by the waves, gradually they will become calmer and calmer. In five or at most 10 minutes, your mind will be completely serene and calm. I don't know about that. Anyways, at that time, your breathing will become quite slow while your pulse will become a little faster. It will take quite a long time before you find your calm, serene mind in your practice. Many sensations come. Many thoughts or images arise, but they're all just waves of our own mind. Nothing comes from outside your mind. Usually we think of our mind as receiving impressions and experiences from the outside, but that is not a true understanding of our mind. The true understanding is that the mind includes everything. When you think something comes from outside, it means only that something appears in your mind. Nothing outside of yourself can cause any trouble. You yourself make the waves in your mind. If you can leave your mind as it is, it will be calm. This is called big mind. So that's uh, the talk part uh, for this evening.